uh, I appreciate you being here this morning. I don't know about you, but my heart is, my heart is full. And uh, wow, we got a great God, don't we? And uh, hearing from Dr. Tom this morning, just sharing some of the stories of some of the places where he has been there in in Africa, and some of the places where some of the situations that they live that they have to live in and I found myself complaining this morning you ever been there I mean seriously I, I, I was so convicted that you know th- you know fuses are blowing and you know and I can just grumble and and yet and yet God is so great and he's so good and uh, he has been he's been so good to our church as we've uh, been in this series of what is truth and uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue that series this morning, uh, and it's kind of it's kind of taken on uh, just a little bit of a different type of approach the way that uh, the way that normal series go uh, in in our church. And uh, we looked at the you know the uh, the altercation between Pilate and Jesus uh, when Pilate said, "What is truth?" And we kind of boiled that all the way down from God is truth, Jesus is truth. The Word of God is truth. And the question that I asked you that very first week is, is can truth survive in a postmodern society? And we found that the answer is yes, because truth supersedes culture and time in and of itself. And then uh, last week, we kind of went through Romans chapter number 1, and we kind of understood the idea of no God then there is no truth. And so what I want to do this morning, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to kind of just allow me for, uh, for several minutes here this morning to uh, just be kind of very, very academic. I'm going to, I'm going to want you to stick with me. Uh, we're going to, uh, I'm going to try to define some of the terms that I've been using the last uh, couple weeks. And the title of the message this morning is, From Bad to Worse. From Bad to Worse. And the two uh, the two ideas that we're going to consider, and then we're going to have certainly application for, I need you to stick with me, is modernism to now what we're living in is postmodernism. And modernism, I'm going to explain how that was bad, but it's nowhere near as bad as what we're living in today. So from bad to worse. And uh, we rejoice when evil dictators are brought to justice. Uh, but all too often it creates a void waiting to be filled by someone or sometimes a group that can be even more evil or even more detrimental to the area. I believe the same can be said when you think of worldviews. The fall of one dominant secular philosophy invariably paves the way for an even more ungodly belief system to follow it. And so the demise of modernism as a worldview is, I believe, certainly a clear distinction of that. And so the first idea that we're going to look at here is modernism. Uh, no doubt you've probably uh, heard of uh, that term. And, um, and so let me, let me define that for you here this morning the best I can. Modernism, in simple terms, was characterized by the belief that truth exists and that the scientific method is the only reliable way to determine that truth. Okay? Let me just let the cat out of the bag a little bit. We don't live in this day anymore. 
All right, we are postmodern, and I'm going to deal with that here in a little bit. But modernism, there was there was the belief that 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 this so-called modern era that most academic um, disciplines like philosophy and science and literature and so on they were driven by the primary primarily by ra- rationalistic presuppositions. Again, allow me to be kind of academic with you here this morning. Try to follow along. I put a lot up on the screen to help us with this. In other words, modern thought treated human reason as the final arbiter of what is true. The modern mind discounted the idea of the supernatural. It discounted the idea that there was a God, discounted the idea that there was a Bible, and it looked for scientific and rationalistic explanations for everything. Okay? Here's why I've entitled it From Bad to Worse, because in reality, they still believed in truth. Now, they didn't believe in where that truth came from, where this series has kind of been leading to, but they did believe back in the day that there was some form of truth. Often they would, of course, use the scientific method. Modern thinkers retained their belief that knowledge of truth was possible. They were still seeking universal and absolute truths, and they applied it to everything. Scientific methods became the chief means by which modern people thought to gain the knowledge. And it's where you and I were introduced to what would be called as Darwinism. It kind of it spurned during this time and during this era, this humanistic ideas of the worldviews in which we hold to. Most prominent among them would have been several atheistic, rationalistic, utopian philosophies like Marxism, fascism, socialism, communism, and theological liberalism. This would have been certainly terms that you have, that have heard. That would kind of be the, the fruit, so to speak, of a modernistic way of thinking. Modernism de- devastatingly had some repercussions that were felt around the world. Various struggles between those theological ideas, they, they dominated the 20th century. And they all, as we've learned, they have failed. After two world wars, nonstop social revolution, civil unrest, and long ideological cold war, modernism was declared dead by most of the academic world. Right around the 1980 time frame, they, we said, okay, we've, we've, we've come away from modernism, and we've collectively nicknamed it now what we will look at as Postmodernism. Prior to 1980, would have been kind of viewed as the genre of modernism, and now we're living in the postmodernism. And the question that I asked you day one of our series is: Can truth can it can it survive in a postmodern society? And my answer that week was absolutely yes. But if you've been paying any attention to the world around us, you've probably heard that expression. You've heard it probably a lot. The term postmodernism has been increasingly in use since the 1980s to describe several popular trends in maybe architecture, art, literature, you know, postmodern art and terms that you've heard in postmodern culture. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's not an easy term to explain. 
And the reason why is because it describes a way of thinking that defies and even rejects any clear definitions. But I'm giving you a attempt here this morning. Postmodernism up on the screen, in general, is marked by a tendency to dismiss the possibility of any sure and settled knowledge of the truth. In other words, postmodernism denies that there is any kind of truth. If you can kind of try to remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, I told you that one of the beautiful things that we learn in Romans 1 and 2 is that, is that the ungodly, that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. So you and I, we, 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 we've, we, we have something to go toward. All of them have been given a conscience. They've been given a moral law resides within them. All of them can look at the creations that declare the glory of God. And so they, they've got truth. And so, can I just say this? Prior to the 1980s, you kind of had a little bit better of a, a, a way of dealing with people because they at least believed that there was truth. Oh, they didn't believe in the supernatural. Oh, they didn't believe in a God. I mean, that's from Bible days. People didn't. Or they believed in many gods. But postmodernism, the next line there, Nick, is suggests that if objective truth exists, it cannot be known objectively or with any degree of certainty. So that is because, according to postmodernists, the subjectivity of the human mind makes knowledge of objective truth impossible. So can I give it to you really quick here in a nutshell? Objectivity becomes an illusion in a postmodern society. Becomes an illusion. Nothing is certain. And a thoughtful person will never speak with too much conviction about anything. Strong convictions about any point of truth. They're judged as arrogant. How many of you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Say amen. You're arrogant in our society. How many of you believe that God created everything? Say amen. Wow, y'all are arrogant. How can you, oh, oh, by the way, I believe those things also. And I stand on the truth of, of God creating everything. And that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, I'm the way. Jesus is the only way, and we believe that. Everyone is entitled to his own truth in a postmodern type of society. Postmodernism, therefore, has no positive agenda to assert anything as true or good. Perhaps you've noticed over the last, I don't know, the last several decades, but it's increasingly taking place in the, in the 2000s here, that, 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 most, that, that only the most heinous crimes are kind of still seen as evil. It's like only, only the, you know, month and a, or, or, or five weeks ago in, in Las Vegas, yeah, that's evil, but, you know, killing a baby, you know, that's not evil. You know, we've, o only the most heinous of things are deemed as evil, and the reason why is because many today who are prepared to dispute whether anything is evil at all, they do such, uh, they're, they're, it's, the word evil is kind of disappearing from the very public arena. That is because the notion of evil itself does not fit 
into the postmodern scheme of things. Let me ask you a question. If we cannot really know anything for certain, how can we judge anything evil? Let's sink in. If we cannot really know anything for certain, how can you and I really judge anything as evil? That's the world we live in. That's the society. That's the the way of thinking that you and I are trying to portray the light of the gospel to. And there's going to be some great application. You're sticking with me. i got a really huge introduction. And then once we hit the points, it's all downhill from there, and we get to eat. Amen? But you've got to listen first, okay? If you, anybody falls asleep, I'm going for hours. Amen? Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. I won't because I don't have that much material. Maybe I can have Dr. Tom come up, and he can go for a couple hours. So since that's the reality, postmodernism's one goal and singular activity is the systematic destruction of everything and things that truth claims. Their way of doing it, the, the tools, so to speak, that postmodernism uses. I realize I'm giving you big terms, that's okay, because the application is really what you need to head out those doors with, anyways. Here's what they use they use relativism. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context. And they're not absolute. No absolute truths. Remember a couple weeks ago, I tried to pay Rick a $100 bill, or I gave him a $1 bill, and I said, here's your $100 payment. And he had a problem with that. I don't know why. It was $100 to me. There's no absolute truth. We are in a wreck of a situation. And can I just boldly say this? We are in a wreck of a situation. Oh, there's hope, 100%. We're going to get there. You've got you to gotta follow along. So they use relativism. You know what else they use? They use subjectivism. That's the doctrine that knowledge is merely subjective and that there is no eternal or objective truth. So when I get up here and I will break down Romans 1 and that I will say that a marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman, others will say, but what about love? And I, you know, again, we can, be nice, we, we can be loving to people, absolutely. But listen, it's not, just, it's not just subjective. It's not just, well, this is what I think on a matter. No, 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 no. We go to the source. And that's why I preached the very first message in this. This is our source of what truth is. They deny that everything, uh, they de- the denial of every belief. That's what they use. The dissection and, an- and, and annihilation of every clear definition. I mean, man, can you define anything today? Oh, it's got to be dissected, you know, here and there. Why? They're just trying to alleviate everything. All depends on what the definition of is is. As our White House was, massive sin was brought into it. Understand every man is not perfect. President Trump, President Obama, all the way down. But quite, statements like, it all depends what your definition of is, is. Always changing things. Postmodern society. That's what you and I are living in. That's what you and I are called to be gospel-bearing witnesses of. The relentless questioning of every saying. 
the undue exaltation of mystery and paradox, the deliberate exaggeration of every ambiguity, and above all, the cultivation of uncertainty about everything. Men and women, moms, dads, our kids are growing up in a postmodern education that honestly they're uncertain about everything it's just little seeds here and there and here and there hence the leading of God putting it on my heart to even teach this series what is truth what are the what are the areas those of you that are in our 10 o'clock hour we went through what are the gray areas for weeks in preparation really for this series what is you know what is truth on these things and if you were to challenge me this morning to boil down postmodern thought into its pure essence and to its identity, here's what I would say. It is the rejection of every expression of certainty. It's the rejection of every expression of certainty. In the postmodern perspective, certainty is regarded as inherently arrogant as elitist, as intolerant, as oppressive, and therefore always wrong. Remember what I said last week, the Bible and God, it, 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 brings, it brings on a presupposition. You and I, we don't get to define God. You and I, we don't get to shape him. God is who he is. He is God. He defines himself. And then what that means that we live, listen, we came into this universe with all kinds of already givens. We don't get to change it. We don't get to make up our own mind. No, no, the reality is, is this is the way that God made it. It's old-fashioned, as I said last week. And guess what? It's a monarchy. It's not a democracy. And that's not, it doesn't fit into our hip culture. To, so it's rejected. And listen, the truth of God the truth of the word, listen to me. It is not an intellectual problem that man has. It is always a moral problem. John tells us that men love darkness rather than light, rather than truth. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They don't want it exposed. Truth exposes. Truth brings suppositions upon you. Truth tells you how you ought to think. Truth tells you how your emotions ought to be. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like anyone telling me anything. Does God just be transparent with you? Let alone the speed limit. Help us. Now, if my kids are around, you follow the speed limit, okay? And so, that's the, that's kind of the academia of it. We, we, we had something that was already bad. Why? Because modernists said, you know what, there's no God. There's no, there, there, there's no ultimate truth, but, but, but we believe in truth. But then that began to shift. That had some hard times. And that shift has started into the 1980s into what we call postmodernism, which postmodernism absolutely denies that there's a God, but now it denies that there is no truth, that there is nothing that you and I can cling to as certainty. So it went from bad to worse. And so let me ask you this question. So how should we handle the truth? How should you and I handle absolute truth? How should we handle the supremacy of God that we preached on last week? As I said, a little bit of a different uh, type of message, not just going to break down a text. Let me say, first of all, speaking and acting on God's truth. Speaking and acting 
on God's truth. To spread a passion for truth. To spread a passion for the supremacy of God. You have to speak and you have to be willing to act on that truth, to act on His truth. In other words, you may believe in truth. You may be seated here this morning, but listen, if you don't ever speak that truth, if you don't ever act that truth, then can I, can I just, as lovingly, as, as respectively as I can, what good is it? Because I'll be honest with you, the postmodern society, they're preaching their stuff every moment of every single day. And if you and I, who are hopefully holders of the truth, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you believe that the Word of God, all the way coming down from God, is truth, then you and I, we've got to be willing to speak it. We've got to be willing to live it. The Bible says, the psalmist said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so let me give a broad application of that verse for us here this morning. You and I, we are the redeemed. You and I, we know the truth. And so application this morning for the message would be, let's speak it. Let's live it. Let's act upon that truth. Because you and I, we cannot spread a passion for truth with silence and with inactivity. If you want to spread God's truth, you've got to speak about it. You got to speak about his supremacy. You got to hear what I'm about to say. You got to change your lives to show it. There ought to be some differences between the men and women who are holders of truth. You following me? You good? You okay? Some of you think dreaming about the bounce house. I get that. It's for kids only, but we're okay. Hey, sometimes I feel like a kid. I might just get in there. But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta change our lives to show it. I, I, I meant to bring the book up here this morning. I've told you that I've been reading this book and I'm now finished with it. It's called The Christian Atheist. And how so oftentimes you and I, we live our lives as if we don't hold to the truth. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't change anything. Oh, I'm not standing before you and saying, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not doing that. God, God knows your heart. I'm not the fruit inspector. But listen, there ought to be some changes. You pay attention to them. You pay attention to the truth. You walk with the truth. Jesus said, I am the way the truth. You, you, you walk with Christ. You, you introduce Christ to people. You introduce truth into our arenas. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And this point is so vital. Because secondly, ideas have consequences. It is so vital that you and I live and speak the truth because ideas have consequences. Why do we challenge the church with truth? Remember, that's where we're starting. We're starting in the church so that we can impact the culture. But why do we challenge the church with the supremacy of God and with truth? Why do we challenge our culture with the supremacy of God and with truth? It's because ideas have consequences. We need, to deeply, we need to be deeply persuaded that wrong thinking leads to wrong living. When a society is governed by widespread falsehood, the effect will be disastrous choices and behaviors. Bad ideas about reality lead to bad behavior. Solomon said, for as 
thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me illustrate this for you real quick. Matthew Scully uh, interviewed Victor Frankel. It was in a 1995 magazine of First Things. Victor Frankel was a Jewish survivor of the of the Holocaust, and uh, he has now written several books, but one of his most famous books is Man's Searching for Meaning. Sold over nine million copies. Here's what, it, here's what he said. I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Maidanek were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers, which means anti-God. God does not shape anything. That's what nihilistic means there. It means that God, no, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't, he doesn't change anything. Wow. Can I sum it up for you? He's saying ideas produce the gas chambers that were at the concentration camps. Ways of thinking produced ways of acting. Philosophies produced atrocities. I don't know the exact number. I should have looked it up. But the millions of innocent babies that our country murders on a yearly basis is an atrocity. I'm going to preach an entire message on it. I'm not going to tell you what week. The sanctity of life. For the privilege of getting to know the Raimundos the last few weeks. And doctors have said, oh, no, 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 no. you got a couple that loves God, that believes God and believes truth. But listen, wrong thinking, wrong philosophies. You say, Ryan, are there some room for this and that? Yeah, I'm willing to have some discussions on some scenarios. But listen, the atrocities of America as we kill millions of babies every year, I have a problem with it. Worldviews produce world crisis. So one of the reasons we feel called to challenge our culture with truth is that in the long run, this will serve the cause of God and justice. So this has been the wrong thinking. So what is God-exalting ideas? Well, that's what we're going to kind of transition to in our series here. But God-exalting ideas do not take root in the mind and heart apart from the working of the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts 16, there's a beautiful story. We're not going to, for sake of time, we're not going to break all of Acts 16 down. But you find the disciples there. They, they come and they, they meet a woman by the name of Lydia. And it says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord 
opened and she attended unto the things which were spoken of God. We have got to absolutely have a moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our world. And I'm not trying to negate him in a few moments. I acknowledge that it is him that opens a heart. It is him that opens up a life. It is him that will even give you an opportunity to share the truth. I, I, I get that. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so I understand that it's the Holy Spirit's job. And again, we're going to get to that later, to, to bring a a mass moving in the hearts and the lives of people. But I also believe that these truths do not take root if they are not spoken. Romans 13 tells you all about that. The Holy Spirit's role is to empower the truth, not to replace the truth. So we believe Christians, we believers, we must must speak the truth. Hear me, if millions upon millions of Christians keep sowing seeds of truth in millions and millions of conversations, in PTA meetings, in political caucuses, in classrooms, in boardrooms, in talk shows, in public forums, sermons, books, essays, articles, letters, if we did that, if all of us were men and women of the truth. And we were speaking truth. When you go to work tomorrow and you're sitting on a coffee table at break and there is untruth being spoken, have the courage to speak truth. I remember, it might have been a couple years ago now, I don't remember, but Sarah was having a piano recital and Sarah's a blessing and she teaches many, many students. And I was in this home and try to be careful with, with what I say, but I was surrounded by very, very, very intellectual men. Right? Far smarter than me. Hands down, I admit that. I would admit that to them too. And they were talking about how they are researching, they are doing studies. Some of you, one of the men even have a garden in their backyard of how they're, they're, they're trying to prolong life. How many of you want to live a little bit longer? I, I get that, right? We, I, I get it, you know? Three score and 10, that's 70. Man, when I hit 35, I'm still very young, amen? And when I hit 35, ooh, I had a midlife crisis, almost bought a Corvette, okay? Not really. That's what the Bible says, three score and ten. That was midlife for me. And I'm surrounded by very, very intelligent men. And they were talking about how, you know, we've got this wrong, we've got this wrong, we've got this wrong, and if we'll do this, we'll do this. We can live to be 110. We can live to be 120. And, you know, they were very, just very humanistic way of thinking. And the Holy Spirit kind of just challenged me. I didn't have an opportunity to share the gospel at that time. I didn't even, honestly, didn't even have the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do that. But all I did in that setting, I said, you know what? Man, it would be great to live to 110. Maybe without all the aches and pains, but great to live to 110 to 120. I said, but you know what? You know what the truth is, gentlemen? You know, again, me, I'm just like, I'm 
probably bigger than all of them, but I'm like small into their intellect. I see the reality is, is that every single one of us could die on the way home from work tomorrow. And man, you would have thought it just like exploded a bomb. Yeah. It's like mic drop, you know, and they're like, you know what? You are right. It's just, wow. And, you know, we're trying to develop a relationship with these families. And Sarah and I talk about it often where we will be able to preach the gospel. But speak truth. Do you know what truth is? Truth is just, it's what you find to be right. It comes down from God. It's the person of Jesus. It's the, it's the, it's the words, of, words of Jesus. I'm not saying that you've got to always argue if a $1 bill is a $100 bill. That was a funny joke. But things of life, truth, men, women, speak it. Speak the truth. Matthew 5, 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Put on a candlestick and to give it light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Can I just give you a little Johnson version there? Let your truth so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's your life changing, the truth altering the way that you live, and that they would glorify the Father which is in heaven. See, if the truth is a seamless fabric, then speaking the truth anywhere on any issue will strengthen the cause of truth everywhere. God only knows, here I'm about to say, you've listened so well, we're landing the plane right now. God only knows how often the gospel of Jesus Christ has been made more hearable because of truth that has been laid down by thousands of prior influences. This is a part of the salt the preservers, the the life of society so they can be touched more effectively by the gospel message. Matthew also says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. So can I challenge you here this morning, a little bit of a different message, mostly to, to the believers in here. Trust me, listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, make today that day. Talk to me before you leave. Talk to Pastor Mike before you leave. Talk to somebody. Don't leave here without clinging to the one that is Jesus. Truth. Man and woman, born again believer here, church, speak the truth. Speak it. Say, Ryan, popular. We live in a post-truth society. I get that. But God's placed you in different arenas that he's placed me, and vice versa. And you know what he wants? He wants men and women that are salt and that are light for the gospel, speaking truth. And you never know when there will come an opportunity where just speaking truth, now open that door, opens wide open, and now you can say, let me show you the love of Christ. Make it a change. We're done. But if we don't, I say we, I'm talking the collective 
group of believers. It doesn't hinge on Redwood's shoulders. Praise God for that. I wouldn't sleep if that were the case. But the collective shoulders of Christendom speak it. This week, in every arena, coffee shops, tables, wherever you are, around a, a, a digital circuit, wherever you work, speak truth. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, I, I submit this message, Lord, to the feet of your sovereignty. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would, you, you would stir in all of us, God, the, 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 the truth that lies within us that is found in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to share that truth and ultimately share the gospel with men and women that you place in our arenas, that you put in our lives. And God, we will allow you to do a mighty, mighty work. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Lord right now. Please, no one looking. I want you to ask the Lord right now. God, have I been a good ambassador with your truth? And allow him to answer it. Allow God to answer that question for you. And then talk to the Lord. pray that, Lord, if there's a man or woman here that does not know Christ as their Savior, your Holy Spirit of God is touching their heart. Father, I pray that you'd give them the courage to come talk to myself or maybe Pastor Mike or where they can find out who the light is, truth being Jesus. God, I ask that, Lord, you would, with the Holy Spirit's power, with a non-egocentrical spirit, but that you would give us a boldness with the truth this week and the days ahead. God, thank you for giving us your word. God, thank you for showing us and revealing yourself to us. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would Allow each of us to be just the light and the salt of the earth and the world in which you've called us to. And God will give you the glory for what you'll do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.